Hello, and welcome back to Lots of Planets Have a North, a Northern Doctor Who podcast. I'm Kiron. I'm Bethan. I'm Jacob. I think I'm experimenting with new ways to say the word podcast. Podcast. And you join us for the third and final part of our discussion of Series 6. So, let us begin with the God Complex. Joe there, can I have a quick word? Oh, it's still me, Doctor, but I've seen the light. I lived a blasphemous life, but he has forgiven my inconstancy, and soon he shall feast. We've been here for two days. What's he waiting for? We weren't ready. We were still raw. But now you're what? Cooked, if you like. Soon you will be too. Be patient. First, find your room. My room. There's a room here for everyone, Doctor. Even you. Jacob, do you want to start us out? Hmm. Yeah, I quite like the God Complex. Again, uh, it's really well directed, like we kind of said in the last episode. Um, I really like it conceptually you know this kind of the idea of these different rooms in the hotel with these different things that all pertain to each character i think that's really good i really like the the kind of curse of fenric-esque solution of the doctor having to sort of break amy's faith in him i think that is kind of quite interesting and again it fits really nicely with I kind of mentioned the hauntological aspects in the last episode. It's there again in a different form. This time, instead of it being kind of presences in the same place, but in different time periods here, it's the kind of the 1980s hotel aesthetic that's mm. that's going on. But yeah, very good. Yeah, so I, I was worried that I'd remembered this as better or more funny than it actually was, uh, because that was what I remembered at the time. But actually watching it back, I think it was actually better and funnier than I remembered. I find the guy from the most invaded planet mm. in the universe to be very funny. I think it also is good at capturing like the element of ridiculousness. The element of the ridiculous in what we're afraid of. So they have mm. the room of like judgmental teenage girls mm. as well as the gorilla that the yeah. first lady in there is the the lady opens with is afraid of and it's specifically a gorilla from a storybook that you read as a child yeah. which i think is a really lovely detail because it's like that kind of detail that sticks with you mm. Mm. and in a way i feel like it's a shame that the rooms don't end up being that important because i think it's such an exciting idea but i still think that it's an interesting concept to begin with i feel like and i feel i think that probably you will have some stuff to say about this as well kieran but i think that the way that it shifts from it being the thing you most fear to that kicking in your like faith reflex and then it eats your faith mm. or something i feel like that's a bit of a weird turn especially because what counts as faith mm. is quite Far-reaching. <laughs> yeah. Rory, the man who doesn't believe in anything. Yeah, Rory, the, the great nihilist. <laughs> nihilist Rory doesn't give a fuck. Mm. <laughs> um, I just... That was quite funny. But, um, yeah, I think that the hotel setting is really well used. And 
it's kind of Doctor Who does The Shining in that mm, way. Yeah. But it does it very well. And obviously, we love the fact that it's it's a relative of Naimon. Mm. That's very important. Um, Naimon! The Naimon! <laughs> I said that because I knew that yes. I knew the reflexes would kick in. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I really like this one. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. Something that I really, really like is the way the monster, well, inverted commas, monster, works on a sort of mimetic, mimetic with an E, level, where it proceeds from perception, and perception is a big deal in this one. Uh, hence, the, hence the mirrors, hence the surveillance camera, all that kind of thing. It kind of infects the mind. And there's something really quite creepy about that. Uh, I, which I think is, I absolutely love. I think it's a great, great concept. Like Beth and I, I do have an issue with the way it proceeds from like fear to faith, and I think that's a bit shaky. And I'll come back to that because I have some kind of conceptual issues with that. But there's, I think there's a lot to like here. It does have my favorite moment of bad subtitling in all of Doctor Who, I think, and there are some classics in some of the episodes we've just had. But the the doctor says, oh, simple puns. And the subtitle renders it as, oh, simple puns. Which is wonderful. Um, What's the one from Night Terrors? Oh, there's a couple of there really good a, ones. There's some catastrophic renderings of Alex's accent. Oh, there's oh, no. there's, there's one about how he's, he's scared of clowns. And it's rendered as he's scared of crayons. Yeah, yeah. Which is all the worse because <laughs> the doctor says, like, mm, understandable. <laughs> But, Sorry, I sidetracked you. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I'm actually. I'm gonna lead off my like, uh, or like, well, close off my kind of general impressions of the episode with the one thing that I really, really don't like in it, which is, uh, I mean, there, there are, there are, there are smaller issues that I have, but towards the end, when the Doctor is kind of trying to break Amy's faith in him. He refers to her as... I can't remember if he calls her Mrs. Williams or Amy Williams. I think it's Amy Williams. Amy Williams. And I hate that. Because there's a sense in which this... And this, like, to be fair, contradicts everything else that we are ever presented with about Amy. Mm. But there is a sense in which Amy Williams is, like, her real identity. Her, like, adult identity that she is now growing into. Which is kind of the the end of the episode with them moving into the house kind of plays into that a little bit. I, like, I, I don't think that inherently does. I think it's just an unfortunate juxtaposition. And um, that, like, she has to become Amy Williams before she can, like, move in with her husband. But, um, yeah, I just really hate that. Because the idea of... The, even the idea that Amy would change her name has just never come up before because why would it? And like, it's not a, an issue. They've as a married couple, they've been referred to, including in this episode, as I suggested, as the Ponds, which is nice because it's not really drawn attention to. It's kind of the it's an, an inversion of like the way we normally refer to married couples using the husband's surname, um, or like sorry, as to um heterosexual married couples or married couples that are a man and a woman anyway i feel like at some point maybe in the episode where they actually get married there is a thing where 
you're right, there is a brief, like, thing of, like, um, the the Doctor refers to Rory as Rory Pond, mm. and he says something like, oh, that's not how it works. And then and then there's a moment of, mm, and he's like, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, so I do, obviously that doesn't imply necessarily that um, Amy's necessarily taken Williams to be her no, I'd, surname. I'd, I'd like, there is no suggestion that she has at any point. Yeah. I guess it's just assumed that she actually has, even though, like, it's 2011? Yeah. Like, yeah. People See, I don't, don't necessarily do that all I, the time. I don't even think it is, though, is the thing. I, I don't even... Like, I, I may be wrong here, but I genuinely cannot think of another instance when it is ever suggested that she actually has taken the last name Williams. I don't know. I feel like it's assumed because that's what people usually do. And so I think that they just don't mm. think to point out that she has because because that's what still what most heterosexual couples do when they get married. I've... Mm. I really don't think so, though, because I, I think it would have come up at some other point mm. were that the case. As I say, I may be wrong, but yeah, it's it's the it's the holding up of that as the like authentic identity, mm. the identity that she needs to like grow up and become. Mm. That really rubs me up the wrong way. But as I say, other than that, I really like this episode. Interestingly, that wasn't the thing that I thought you were going to bring up as the thing that you really didn't like about it. Oh, will I talk about the thing you thought I was going to bring up? Well, do you know what it is? <laughs> is it the thing about belief? It's the thing about when um, religion is equated with all the other kinds yeah. of belief and the um, the Muslim lady has to lose her faith before she gets got. Yeah. Was it that? It's, it's, <laughs> there is also that. And this is a recurring problem, I have to be honest. I adore the Curse of Fenric, but it comes up in that as well. And I don't buy it there either. I just don't like the idea of... That are um, different kinds of faith are interchangeable, basically. It's and it's something that I'm willing to overlook as a kind of plus thing, because there are larger kind of issues going on with within both this and Curse of Fenric that I think are very interesting and worth doing. But it's a problem because it's not even the idea of like a religious faith as being something couched within a religion as a, a set of ethical and spiritual principles being equated with, like, he likes to gamble. I would be perfectly fine with, like, a kind of religious faith, an orthodox religious faith being equated with, like, someone believing in astrology. Crystals and shit. Yeah, like, because <laughs> I think those are similar kinds of belief. And on one level or another, but the the because th- I there are belief that the that what is around you, your life works according to specific principles. I even the look thing sort of works there, although I don't. I am uneasy with the equation there. Mm-hmm. I I don't think it quite works. Where I think it really falls down is the belief in the doctor is the same thing, mm. partly because. It, in a sense, deifies the Doctor, which, as I've said before, is something that bothers me. But also because it's just plain not the same thing. It's like different kinds of faith are different and are experienced differently and order worldview in different ways. So the idea that they 
are essentially all the same thing, which is fodder for a big minotaur. Strikes me as just really reductive. What if I believe in the big minotaur? Um, then that will be very flattering for him. Aww. What if you believe in life after love? Would that count? <laughs> would, like, is that what would happen if Cher were transported? The Cher dilemma. <laughs> my, that's going to be my Doctor Who mm-hmm. story. <laughs> um, yeah, in a way, see, I feel like the belief in the Doctor does maybe work because it deifies him but then undeifies him because the whole point is that she shouldn't have been thinking about him that way in the first place. But the problem is that she does for me. Yeah. Like actually, um I mean going back to the Curse of Fenric as well, the 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 problem is that Ace, who has less reason to deify the Doctor, kind of mm. plays into the same thing. And um like because with Amy you know, he is this huge structuring presence in her life because she mm. first ran into him as a child. So that makes a degree of sense. Mm. But it bothers me in tandem with The Curse of Henrik, I guess, in a way that neither of them yeah. would bother me quite as much in isolation, mm. I suppose. Yeah, I, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I feel like the one that's really weird is the, the guy from the planet that always gets invaded. And his yeah. disbelief is like passivity mm. or something. Mm. Yeah, it that one doesn't quite work because I I do like the thing the doctor's characterization of it as like cunning and manipulative. I just think that's a nice piece of characterization, mm. but it still doesn't quite work mm. in terms of the the idea of faith. Works perfectly well in terms of the idea of fear, obviously. Mm. Um, but like, yeah, because the idea is that the fear causes you to fall back on your belief. It's hard to see what exactly. That's causing him to fall back on. Well, I was going to say, to add to what you were saying, because the episode does deconstruct the Doctor as God, really. Well, 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 certainly as having a God complex, because that's what Rita says, isn't it? Yeah. She says you've got a real God complex, and there's the bit at the end with the Minotaur where he's, you know, he talks about some soaked in the blood of uh, lonely God, God steeped in blood. Yeah, and then it's, it's the it's, Doctor. Yeah, you know. it's specifically steeped in blood because it's a reference yeah, to the yeah. Brigadier in uh, yeah. Battlefield. Ah. Which I only realised because I watched it ah. recently. Brigadier is <laughs> as no one has ever called it and hopefully <laughs> won't again. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I guess there's kind of a deconstruction. Although I suppose the Minotaur also refers to him as a god, which is, yeah. yeah somewhat undermines that as well. I d- see. I don't mind it as a deconstruction of the of the Doctor as mm. um uh, as a godlike figure. It's I just I, the equation. It's the fact that it went there in the first place. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I do kind of like how I do like how it's set up as like how it kind of tries to wrestle with the problem of the Doctor letting Amy travel with him and put her in dangerous situations mm. when she hero-worships him to that extent. Because mm. I do think that's an interesting way of exploring the idea, especially after we've just done the Companions episode. I think mm, it's an interesting yeah. way of exploring the like ethics of that relationship and whether it's really fair, because mm. is there always going to be some kind of imbalance in that way? And so I think that that is interesting. I don't think that it like necessarily pulls it off 100% successfully but I think that it is a good attempt at, mm. de- at like at, at trying to mm. get something out of that issue which is something that kind of affects every doctor and companion relationship to some extent. Yeah, for sure. 
so I appreciate that, and I think that the episode as a whole is doing loads of interesting stuff with, like, all the fear, mm. all the different fears and things. And I love the, like, pictures on the wall of people and the thing that they were scared mm. of underneath. That's so creepy. But I feel like maybe because it's trying to do so much, some of the steps needed to be a bit clearer. Like, if they mm. were going to do the faith thing, then... It, it should probably not have been Rory who didn't have the faith. It probably should have been the guy from Surrender Planet. Yeah. Or or something. I just feel like there's a little bit of a fault in the logic there. Or maybe it mm. shouldn't have been faith. It should have been some other, some other idea, mm. some other kind of force that would still apply mm. to all those things. But I do. I think this is a. I think this is a really good episode, actually. Mm. I think it does a really good balance of like humor and mm. yeah. scares. Yeah, definitely. And I just love the bit where I love. I love all. I love all the rooms, and I love the bit where. Um, is it Rita and Amy who are in the room with the clown, and one's like, "Do you know anything about this?" And the other one's like, "Nope." Yeah. <laughs> so he's just sort of there, um, because I don't know. It's just really well attuned to the variety of things that people find terrifying mm. <laughs> I could be wrong is the clown Matt Smith oh because I, I thought know. it was but I could be wrong which would be really interesting I've never heard his that his greatest fear himself as Boo Boo the Fool <laughs> I don't know it's so long since, well it's not so long since I've seen it but I'm just I'm picturing that and I thought it was him but maybe it, it might it, maybe it, I'm wrong it, it, it might be it's, yeah it's hard to, yeah. I'm trying to picture the clown but it's quite hard to tell to be honest because it's a clown yeah exactly um, how yeah. hefty was its jawline that's, <laughs> the, <laughs> that's the main thing that's what I associate with him mm. yeah. which is probably why he looks terrible with a beard actually because his jaw like rejects it mm, mm. it's like why would you cover me <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I, I I wanted to mention about Rita, actually, because uh, I really like Rita as a character. Mm. Uh, I think she she's very well sketched out in, like, not a lot of time. Yeah. And part of that is, for all of the uh, the issue that I, that I have with this episode's treatment of faith, I think that we engage more with her and with her faith. Essentially, we engage more specifically with her identity as a Muslim mm. than we have, well... To take the obvious route with this, than we have with Yaz in like twenty-one episodes with her. Mm, assuming that she is, well, I guess she's she is Muslim. Uh, she mentioned is she practicing though? She talks about going to mosque in. Oh Rosa. well, uh, then yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but like even even if she weren't, like it's a cultural identity as much as a yeah uh, a spiritual one, like like religion is. Mm-hmm. So. Um, anything else on the God Complex? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I like it. It is good. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah. It's uh, better than fine. Oh, mm. it's much better than yeah, fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right, so... <laughs> I would rate it an 8 on the Gators scale. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's off the Gators scale, to be honest. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say what the numbers signified. <laughs> um... <laughs> right, so you know what time it is. It's closing time. Oh, it's closing time. God. Yeah, so just enjoy your holiday. Yeah, coping. Uh, nobody panic, but I appear to be losing control. Yeah, lovely. 
Guys, ladies and gentlemen, while I deal with this awkward moment, you go and find your parents slash guardians. Uh, try in lamps. Craig! What the hell are you doing here? Oh, well, I'm the doctor. I work in a shop now, here to help. Look, they gave me a badge with my name on in case I forget who I am. Very thoughtful, as, as that does happen. So, it's sort of okay-ish. I don't really like some bits of it. I think that the humour in particular is really poor, low-tier-level mm. humour. Mm. There is one reference to robot dogs, which is oh, like yes. a canine reference, which is good because love to hear a reference to canine. But a lot of it, fall, a lot of the humour falls back on stereotypes. So mm. we have the like clueless dad being left alone with the baby, mm. and he like I can't remember what it is that he doesn't know that he's never had to do in the whole time. But there's something ridiculous, like on the level of changing the baby that he's yeah. like never. That he says that he's never had to do before. It's not changing the baby, but it is something like that. And Might be feeding. Maybe. Maybe, but it's like quite an old baby. Like, it's not, like a few months old. Yeah. He is a few months old. Yeah, so like, I thought, uh, so that's not great. And also I feel like, it was actually Kieran that pointed this out, but like, it's a bit, it's it's unfair to have the like hopeless dad thing because a lot of dads are very good at looking mm. after their children and, and should be. But it's also not great because it implies that women just have this like effortless Innate ability. Abil- innate yeah. ability, which, like, is not necessarily the case. And mm. given how often women suffer sort of mental health problems after, mm. when they feel like they can't, mm. when they feel like it's not mm. coming naturally, mm. it's a bit irresponsible. Not just of this episode. It's not, this isn't... Yeah. This it wasn't caused by closing time yeah. 2011 or whatever year it was. But, like, it's part of that whole mess. Again, it's the, like... Falling back on sitcom stereotypes. Mm. Mm. And also, um, there's some kind of humour based on... Craig gets mistaken for a pervert, LOL. Oh. Craig and the Doctor get mistaken for a couple, LOL. Mm. And that's the kind of jokes that we're having. And then there's also kind of like sneering at stuff that's kind of lowbrow. Like the thing where it's like, Nina on Britain's Got Talent means that people don't care about missing people. Yeah. When it's yeah, like, oh, right. you know, people can probably care about more than one thing at once. Mm. Um, and the like name tag in case I forget my name, which they kind of get away with because the doctor's like, which I do sometimes. Mm. But also it is kind of like jokes that are often made at the expense of people working in retail yeah. by people who have never worked retail. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the girl in particular that works in the shop is stereo is quite like a stereotype. Yeah. The like working class girl mm. where they like sort of make her seem lazy and not very bright because of the like shh thing that the doctor's doing. Yeah, yeah that's right. And yeah. he manages to do that on like a number of people implying that they're like less developed life mm. forms or something, which is pretty gross. Because um, he does it to to Craig as well, and then it's like a joke at Craig's expense. I think is, if they've done it the fine, once but... to Craig, that would yeah. have been okay, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's why it's working. But yeah. He's having the moment where he's like, oh, wait, does this mean... Yeah. And so that's quite funny, but I think the fact that they keep doing it... Yeah. It's firstly, like, no one... It's not funny if you do it, like, all the time, mm. but also it just makes it seem like it's having a dig at these particular people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, apart from that, the baby's very cute, mm-hmm. so that's that's nice. Stormy the baby, which is actually what 
Kylie Jenner's child is called, so maybe she's a secret Doctor Who mm. fan. Do you think that's uh, Stormzy's full name as well, Stormageddon? Stormageddon, maybe. Could be. I assume so. That's what his mother calls him. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's time for your tea, Stormageddon. It, that's, that's, <laughs> that's not how she talks. I don't know how she talks, but I can guarantee you. <laughs> it's very definitely not the voice I do for small children in like everything I've ever voiced. <laughs> But um, it's not abysmal as an episode, but it's difficult to like fully enjoy it when there's all of this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like the climax, where it's like, what is it? Like Craig's love stops him from becoming a cyber boy, and then blows up all the and other then cyber blows boys. up all the other cyber boys. It's just. I don't know if it would ever really have worked, but it definitely didn't work because they hadn't mm. built. Like it didn't. It didn't feel right. I'd actually completely forgotten that the Cybermen were in this episode, which I think <laughs> it shows that they're kind of like yeah. there to just be mm. the villain of the episode and not really mm. to add anything of me of, of any substance. Like there's something going on with emotional suppression, but it doesn't. There's no real thematic heft to it. Yeah, mm. Especially it when here, especially mm. when they show that like the fragile masculinity of getting worried when they find out that they've been mistaken for a couple. Yeah. That's like not right not really tallying with any kind of theme of not being really precious about your emotions. Yeah. It's also weird because uh not to like prosecute this too much, but it is written by a gay person. I mean, I think it's clear that that's not preventing him from falling back on this kind of stereotype. I mean, no, humor. yeah. What did you think, Jacob? Thought it was abysmal. You know how I said that uh, I didn't like Let's Kill Hitler, and it was probably my least favorite episode of all time. This is down in that area as well. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. This is why I was saying this series mm. is not good for me in some ways. Um, yeah, it's not good for your health. No, <laughs> I've put plodding, directionless, messy, which I feel like is a good three-word summary of. Mm. Uh, How of... would I describe myself in a job interview? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I I completely agree with all the stuff that you've been saying. Um, I I have a real issue with the with the kind of the shush thing. Yeah, like especially yeah. when he does it to the girl who's kind of portrayed as stupid. Yes, you know, presumably because she's working class. You know, mm. so like it's just disgusting. And I was actually shocked when I saw it. I was like, they didn't do that, did they? I had to turn it back to check <laughs> that they'd done it, <laughs> and I'd not just like not seen it properly. Um, yeah, it's just awful. It's just the the humour, yeah, you're right, the humour is extremely low-tier, cringy, uh, like, inappropriate, insulting. What the Cybermen doing beyond being some kind of marketing ploy, I don't know. Which, well, I mean, I guess marketing ploy, mm. shops. Mm. And like you said, the emotional suppression thing, maybe, but they don't really develop it. No. Which is a problem. Because like it's it's a case of like there's something there, but mm. I don't really know what it's meant to be. Yeah, you have to reach quite tenuously. Yeah, it also well. always bothers me whenever they imply that the only thing that they do that makes you a Cyberman is like they put a suit on you, which they kind yeah. of do in this episode. Imply that mm. when it's supposed to be a lot more comprehensive than that. Yeah, yeah. It just comes out again, doesn't it? Like, yeah, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> 
basically, I like I'm on the like death inside of this, where I I have a side, <laughs> and, and I'm on your side, like <laughs> a uh, bridge over troubled water. Oh, I was a bridge on someone's side. Anyway, yeah, I I don't absolutely hate this. I don't really like it either. I don't quite understand why The Lodger needed a sequel. Hmm. Especially when it's a sequel that doesn't really have much to do with why that episode was kind of charming and unusual and interesting. Assuming you like The Lodger, which actually I do. The The, the point of that episode was that like it's, it's the Doctor uh, attempting to like infiltrate a normal life. And this episode... I wisely on one level doesn't try to do the same thing, but on the other hand tries for something vaguely similar with like, I'm the doctor, I work in a shop now. And it doesn't really land. And like, there's just not a huge amount going on, honestly. There are okay moments. I mean, the one bit that I genuinely like, with a caveat, is I quite like the bit where the doctor and, and Craig are having to deal with the cybermat in the kitchen. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I know. I, this is what the caveat is. <laughs> that is the caveat. Um, basically, I like it because it's a nice kind of... I like the kind of domestic setting. I like the kind of mundane aspect to it. I, I, one thing I didn't really mention about the God Complex was the fact that he very pointedly shifts to this kind of domestic register at the end. Mm. And actually, the doctor says something like, I've forgotten not, not all victories are about saving the universe. But again, it's, it's that thing we've kind of tracked in the new series of like the importance of the ordinary, of the mundane. And so I think the, uh, that scene, uh, the scene in closing time, fighting the Cybermat, uh, with the kind of improvised use of a baking tray as a weapon and stuff like that, should be a nice moment of that, but unfortunately, the bloody 11th Doctor theme, Murray Gold just, like, throws everything he has at it, because everything he has is, like, <laughs> his default setting. Um, He's just rolling around in a room full of synths. Yeah. It's like... And it, it's unfortunate, because it undermines what I think is kind of the point of that scene, um, which is a real shame. And yeah, other than that, I don't have much to say. I don't. It hasn't like earned me saying much. It's it kind of just happens. Mm. That's the best I can say about this episode. It happens across forty-five minutes, and then it's over. And there's a bit with River Song going into Lake Silencio and a creepy rhyme. Oh, and there's those children looking and being like. I wondered why he was wearing that hat at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that's that. That's weird. That is weird. Yeah. Don't know who put that in. That's bad. That's that's a bad call. I don't, I don't mind it in principle. I think it's just quite badly executed. Mm. What else is there to say about it? Uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about it. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else to say about closing time. Well, short of, like, prosecuting Gareth Roberts in general, which this is not the place to do. I guess one thing that I did want to say is that I genuinely had thought I genuinely thought when Craig was getting the discount for like the clothes mm. because of his partner working in the store, mm. I thought that he'd realised that she'd made the mistake, mm. and I thought that he was using it to get some discount stuff. And I was like, ah, yes, get the deals, Craig. Yes. But then it turns out that they've both 
heard people using they've both been using the word partner or whatever it is. I think it's partner, yeah. yeah. And not realise that that means that the lady thinks that they're in a relationship, even though that's clearly what the word partner is used mm. for in like that context. And then they, so I didn't think, I thought they were going to not do the bit where they're both like, oh, no, we're not, oh, but then they do. And I was just like, how is it yeah. reasonable in any time in the past, like, 15 years plus for it to have been, for them not to have, for us to assume that they haven't realised? Because I've, I've just realised that the Eurovision episode of Father Ted does, like, a similar joke where Ted refers to Dougal. While he's talking to, like, a man who he has just realised is gay and is very uncomfortable about the fact. And he refers to Dougal as his partner and says, not my sexual partner, I mean, my partner that I'm doing the song with. And there, the joke is that it's at Ted's expense. Yeah, because mm. yeah, I, I actually had the same thing as you. I thought that Craig had realised what was going on and was going along with it. And I thought, okay, that's quite nice. That's mm. uh, that's showing, like, he's he's not... There's no anxiety going on. It's it's almost kind of a crack at the idea of anxious masculinity around the idea of being mistaken for gay. Mm. And I thought, okay, that's that's quite cute. I like that. And then it just wasn't that. It was mm. just the stupid obvious thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's the only thing I had left to say, though. Yeah. No, I think that's a fair point. Mm. In keeping with the really bad segues that I've been doing um, for this episode, we are all invited to a wedding. Ding dong, ding. Um, oh, should I say TikTok goes the clock? Oh. <laughs> oh. Um, I was going to do my really high pitched child voice again, but I decided not to for everyone's sake. No, your Stormzy's mom impression. <laughs> yeah, Stormzy's mom is not in this series. And oh. uh, Stormageddon's mom is barely in this series, mm-hmm. as we've said. But anyway, the Wedding River song. You've decided that the universe is better off without you. But the universe doesn't agree. River, no one can help me. A fixed point has been altered. Time is disintegrating. I can't let you die. I have to die. Shut up! I can't let you die without knowing you are loved by so many and so much and by no one more than me. River, you and I, we know what this means. You know, we are ground zero of an explosion that will engulf all reality. Billions on billions will suffer and die. I'll suffer if I have to kill you. More than every living thing in the universe. Yes. This one I remembered really disliking, actually, after it first aired in 2011, and I just kind of didn't go back to it for years. I did go back to it about like nine months or maybe a year ago and was fairly pleasantly surprised. Like it's not amazing. It's a mess. Slightly less of a mess, I think, than Let's Kill Hitler. But still, it's doing the thing of trying to do a billion things at once and not really focusing, especially to begin with. But I was still reasonably pleasantly surprised because I think it works better than Let's Kill Hitler does. Which is a low bar, I am aware. I think it's more generally enjoyable. I think it it does an okay job of kind of rounding out the the series plot. Well, of course, what's interesting about this is that there actually isn't that much to round out at this point. Mm. All that really remains is the the notion of how the Doctor survived, which is kind of 
not really all that interesting an answer because it was never going to be. It, so it kind of makes sense that the episode is actually not all that interested in it. And uh, it has other things to do, which I think is perfectly reasonable in itself. Because uh, the other things it has to do are probably more interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a more deft production than, uh, than Let's Kill Hitler. Again, a low bar. Because especially as it goes on, there's kind of it kind of plays with what's being what information is given to the audience at what point. Series six has a an understandable reputation for like being kind of alienating in its plotting, uh, in terms of the density of it. But actually, Wedding of River Song, despite its velocity, is surprisingly almost at pains to like explain what's going on, because there's the bit where the the doctor runs into the Tesselecta, and he says, like, ah, the Tesselecta, a robot filled with tiny people enacting justice throughout time or something like that. He like he does, like, mm-hmm. a one-sentence summary of what the Tesselecta is, which I think is weirdly on the nose, but also probably necessary for the kind of thing that yeah. this is doing. Um, so I think that's fair enough. I, I think the, like, all of history is happening at once stuff at the beginning is quite fun. Less fond of Churchill showing up again, but like, I'm sure we'll have some things to say about that. I like the thing of Dickens uh, on the breakfast breakfast TV. That's fun. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm rambling slightly. Basically, I think it's decent. It's by no means one of the better series finales, but like, certainly not the worst. Yeah, I mean, uh, I did want to say that the Charles Dickens on having an awkward conversation on daytime TV mm. cracked me up. That was funny. I'd forgotten that he ever came back in the series. And I thought that some of the stuff about with time collapsing was quite cool and and funny. There's some questions that I have, such as, what's the point of making River his bespoke psychopath if the suit does all the work? That's a question that I have. Um. Well, I think the suit's a backup plan because okay. she was meant to kill him, like sort of as the like melody that we see in "Let's Kill Hitler." Right. Uh, no, I don't understand why she needs to be in the suit, but it might be like a because she's already understood to be the woman who kills the doctor. Mm. But I, 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 I don't know. That's that's me doing the the episode's work for it. I. Don't like the thing where the doctor's like, "What happened to time?" And the church is like, "What happened to time?" And the doctor's like, "A woman." Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's weird. I thought it was funny how they uh, how how people were sending thoughts and prayers <laughs> to mm-hmm. the, to like the doctor to to help the doctor from outside of the like bubble that they're in. And this is kind of to contradict. So okay, mm. not to bring. Sherlock too much into Doctor Who, but I did not like the thing they did after the Reich, after the fall mm. from the after he falls, and then they just don't explain it properly. They're just mm. like, oh well, whatever. It might have been, been this. Could have been, been that. Yeah. I really didn't like that when they did it then. But do I contradict myself very well? Then I contradict myself. I am vast. I contain multitudes. To probably slightly misquote Walt Whitman. I, I think kind, that's I kind of thank you. I kind of wish that they'd done that with the resolution here. And not in Sherlock. Because <laughs> I kind of feel like the gangers are another possibility that the series has already raised and quite well established for how you might make a duplicate of yourself. And so I feel like it would have potentially been quite interesting if he offers like one explanation to Dorian and then Dorian doesn't believe it. And it's just like, no, that doesn't make any sense. 
fine, I'll tell you the question or whatever it is. Mm. Or if he'd given like multiple explanations, one of which including the Tesselector and one including the Gangas and maybe even like another or something. But then you never really know. But I feel like there's some stuff that I quite like in here. I just feel like it's kind of... There's just some stuff that doesn't work as well because it hasn't been as well established in, throughout the mm. series and so it doesn't round off as satisfactorily. I think that's it. And yeah, I'm not like a massive fan of Churchill showing up, but the, I guess he is the head of like a mystery, like an empire which could mm. contain its own criticism. Just to kind of cross briefly before Jacob's turn, I think, I think you're dead right to link the... Um, the resolution of this with uh, the empty hearse, which is the the Sherlock episode, with all the explanations. Mm. Um, actually, El Sandford does the same thing. I think she suggests that that's like the the empty hearse is like the more refined version of this, mm. um, in some ways, which I think I would agree with. I certainly feel like that's more what I would have liked to have seen here, mm. even mm. though I have issues with. The empty hearse itself. <laughs> yeah, I guess the point in, in both is that the actual point of how they survived isn't actually that important. What matters is the emotional impact of the return. Mm. But the like thoughts, the prayers. Mm. But anyway, yeah, that's slightly by the by. This is another of my least favourite episodes. Cool. That's going to sound extremely negative. Yeah, I think it is a mess... I mean, like, I was watching it, and I started looking at the timer. First 20 minutes are nearly entirely exposition about the Doctor's death and what happens to time, pretty much. It's it's just a state. Then I have issues with, like you were saying, I also find the conclusion deeply unsatisfying. I feel like for a plot that is supposed to be fairly complex throughout... Uh, I think it's a extremely simplistic and lazy resolution. I also don't like the moment. I can't. I can't remember exactly the details now, but the moment where he marries River Song, and it seems to be effectively to force her to do something that she doesn't want to do. Essentially, that was the implication that I got from it. Um, that's what I've written down anyway. I don't like that. Yeah, and also there's the. Uh, the over-the-top stuff with Dorium, the uh, the first question, hmm. Doctor Who, that 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 is one of my least favourite scenes in the entire new series. So uh, yeah, that's that's my my piece. There is actually I keep forgetting this. I, I I meant to mention this in my like opening bit, but there's a scene in this that I'm surprised none of us has mentioned. Which is the scene where the doctor gets the phone call, or actually makes the phone call, and finds out that the brigadier has died. Oh god! Yeah. Oh, that is the one bit that I do. Yes, like. <laughs> that was emotional. Mm, yeah, I think that scene's superb. Yeah, um, that is really I good. like it's. It's a really really nice idea to have the tribute to Nicholas Courtney be essentially a tribute to the brigadier, mm. and it's. Actually, remarkably understated as well, mm. which I think is where a lot of the power comes from, mm. um, and is something that's unusual in a, a series finale for something to be understated. Yeah, 
And it's the the fact that it gets folded into this sort of wider acceptance of mortality as well is is actually quite moving in itself. Mm. Um, yeah. For all that I'm, if you hadn't gathered by now, the most positive of us about Series 6 in general, there are quite a few bits of it that don't really work for me, don't quite land. But for somehow the acceptance, the Doctor's acceptance of mortality in, to an extent, closing time, but particularly in Wedding of River Song, does really land for me. And it's because of that scene, mm-hmm. which I think is really quite lovely. Mm. It is nice that to, to have the Brigadier, the Brigadier's final moments be turned into something that has like a real impact on the Doctor and essentially mm. forces him to stop like... Yeah pissing about and pretending that he's got all the time yeah. in the world and go mm. and face up to what he knows is going to happen. Yeah. It, it felt appropriate in terms mm. of like its role in the story, but also as like mm. a tribute to mm. um, Nicholas Courtney and his mm. great yeah. contribution to the show. And it also was like quite mm. emotional. I do think yeah. that sometimes when prominent people, people who've been prominent for the show pass away and they get an absolute like, terrible episode in tribute to them i'm a bit like it feels it feels like a real shame mm. but i feel like having this moment was really nice mm. yeah because actually liz Layden passed away the same year didn't she uh, am yeah, I, right? I think so because so. i'm pretty sure there's an episode dedicated to her but i can't remember which one it is might be impossible planet impossible astronaut but I'm not sure, because I'm pretty sure she passed away earlier that year. Mm. But anyway... Um, well, Impossible Astronaut's a good one. Yeah, so, so. that would... <laughs> yeah. um, I guess um, Terence Dix must have gotten Spyfall Part 1, did he? Yeah, he did, unfortunately. Mm. Oh, really oh, Terence. At least it wasn't Spyfall Part 2. Mm, yeah, yeah. That could... <laughs> <laughs> the ghost hanging over this, oh, this yeah. recording. Yeah. How long have you delayed already? Been knocking about, bit of a farewell tour. Things to do, people to see, there's always more. I can invent a new colour, save the dodo, join the Beatles. Hello, it's me, get him, tell him we're going out and it's all on me except for the money and the driving. I have got a time machine, Dorian. It's all still going on, for me it never stops. Liz the First is still waiting in a glade to elope with me. I could help Rose Tyler with her homework. I could go on all Jack Stag parties in one night. Time catches up with us all, Doctor. Well, it has never laid a glove on me. Hello. Doctor, I'm so sorry. We didn't know how to contact you. I'm afraid Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart passed away a few months ago. Doctor? Yeah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, he was very peaceful. Talked a lot about you, if that's any comfort. Always made us pour an extra brandy, in case you came round one of these days. Doctor, what's wrong? Nothing. A few interesting things I wanted to pick up on. Uh, they're mostly just kind of bits and pieces of the episode, but like, there's an interesting reference to the silence as sentinels of history. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because there's a sense in which they are standing in for the Time Lords, mm. which makes it interesting that like, their final appearance in Time of the Doctor is like, when the Time Lords start influencing the plot again. Almost like they're handing over. Because I've talked before about on this podcast about the idea of the Doctor standing against the the Time Lord's view of history, the kind of static uh, custodial role that they have. There's the thing in the Time Warrior where their Doctor refers to them as like galactic ticket inspectors or something mm-hmm. like that. 
So I thought it was interesting that the show kind of subs in another kind of mysterious, vaguely malevolent group. Well, not vaguely. Quite malevolent group. Mm. Um, to fulfill that role. I really like the offhand way that Amy sums up the plot for Rory when the wedding's about to go down. When she's like, yeah, we got married and had a kid and it's her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like... Yeah. like <laughs> It's almost worth it for mm. that, but I still don't like it. But it's very funny. <laughs> I guess as another um, another interesting kind of resonance, and uh, this in this instance just kind of across seasons, is that in the Pandorica opens a year previously, we have like this assembled fleet of like all of these terrifying alien races, all of the alien races across the universe who fear the doctor and like want to contain him. And you get, you get the scene of him like shouting up at the sky at them as they appear as like outnumbering the stars. In this episode, you have again, a sky full of spaceships, which in this instance appear because they're sending their thoughts and prayers. (laughs) But like, there's a sense in which there's a journey from the doctor as object of fear to the doctor's object of love. Mm. And I think what's interesting about that is that they both, on some level, flatter fandom. I think the transition point here is kind of Good Man Goes to War, which sort of gestures towards both of those, both in the Doctor as this terrifying figure who will conjure an army, mm-hmm. and as I've completely forgotten her name, but the the soldier who like met him as a child, Lorna. Lorna? Yeah, she's yeah. Lorna something or other. In kind of in her plot, and I think leading off that, another thing that. It strikes me here and that it is part of something I've been gesturing towards throughout this series is once again I think we have a kind of if not a rejection of the epic register at least a rejection of the idea of the doctor as like this name that is known across the stars which is something that we kind of had seen since the beginning of the Davies era really but it's been getting bigger and bigger as we go because here he's essentially faking his own death yeah, and he says something along the lines of, I've been getting too noisy, time to step back into the shadows. Uh, two episodes later in Asylum with the Daleks, he like erases himself from the Daleks' records so that they won't remember him. And so, so he can like start afresh. So I think there's a, there's a turn away there and a turn back towards the Doctor as kind of cosmic wanderer, more so than like mythological figure. Which are the two, we've, we've talked about this a little bit before. Uh, I think in our series one episode, but those are the two kind of poles of the character that like, sometimes both of them are in evidence, sometimes it's only one. But I always think it's interesting the way in which the show navigates those two things. So you're going to do this? Let them all think you're dead? It's the only way, then they can all forget me. I got too big, Dorian, too noisy. Time to step back into the shadows. And Dr. Song? In prison all her days? Her days, yes, her nights. Well, that's between her and me, eh? So many secrets, Doctor. <laughs> I'll help you keep them, of course. Well, you're not exactly going anywhere, are you? But you're a fool, nonetheless. It's all still waiting for you. The fields of Trenzalore, the fall of the 11th, and the question. Goodbye, Dorian. Uh, I was, I was going to talk about it, uh, Churchill, but we've kind of... I've kind of already talked about Churchill, haven't we? Yeah, yeah he's there. He's yeah. there. Um, we don't want him there. No, we don't. <laughs> um, 
he's I actually think he's slightly better here than in uh, Victory of the Daleks, mm. where it's a, a fairly kind of like unrepentant portrait of Churchill. Here you've got the slight subversion in him being Caesar. Uh, the Doctor does say we're friends, which is slightly annoying. But the first question, the question that must never be answered, hidden in plain sight. The question you've been running from all your life? Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Okay, shall we move on to the rankings then? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Kind of quicker than I thought, actually. Um, right, so as as is tradition as is woven into the legends i will go first mm. yes from looms uh. <laughs> ah yes looms so right down at the bottom right in the nadir number 11 because quite pleasingly there are 11 spots uh is curse of the black spot mm. i think with this um this ranking i finally had to kind of decide how I privilege ambition in relation to competence. And as you will see as I go on, I think ambition won out in terms of how I rank things. Mm. Uh, And Curse of the Black Spot is devoid of ambition, as far as I can tell. It's dull and plodding and kind of pointless. And there is next to nothing interesting to say about it, which frankly is, as far as I'm concerned, the cardinal sin of Doctor Who. A step up from that is Closing Time, for basically the same reasons. Closing Time has some bits that I like. That's what elevates it. Moving up then, uh, number nine, number nine, I've done that joke before, is Let's Kill Hitler. Because it's a mess. Because I'm the only one of us who even slightly likes it, but I still think it's a mess. It doesn't really work. It's, there are ideas that I think are potentially interesting in there, and I think people have done really interesting archaeology in unveiling those ideas. Archaeology? Unveiling? Is that a mixed metaphor? Yes. Anyway. River songs and archaeology. I know. I was thinking that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I still think it doesn't quite work. It bears hallmarks of a troubled production. And while Doctor Who is gotten gems out of troubled production before this is really not one of them to say the least number eight is the rebel flesh slash the almost people which i must say jacob you salvaged for me a little bit in that like i i always thought there was something going on in there and i think you did a really good job of like unveiling what that might be i still don't think it really works i still think it works against itself quite heavily but I think there are ideas in there that are interesting in themselves. Number seven, Night Terrors. Night Terrors, as I said, is fine. Maybe even slightly better than fine. It's like above, slightly above average Mark Gatiss, which is to say slightly better than fine. Um, it's a perfectly enjoyable episode in itself. Some kind of interesting resonances. Some nice atmosphere. Uh, I actually really like the the creepy dolls house. I think it's a it's a nice take on creepy dolls, which is like a fairly hackneyed horror trope. Could do without the rhyme, but like you know, it's not solely this episode's fault. 
Number six, maybe slightly generously, is Wedding of River Song. Because I think I find Wedding of River Song, for all that I have frustrations with it, I find it a really quite enjoyable watch. I think it's got some nice ideas. Again, those ideas get lost in the mess, but I think it works on levels where Let's Go Hitler fundamentally doesn't. I think it's the beginning of an approach to storytelling that Moffat gets significantly better at going forward. It's a kind of experiment, uh, and it's a half-successful experiment where Let's Go Hitler was more or less just a failed one. Number five, then, is Good Man Goes to War. I've talked enough about the reasons why I like this one and why I think there are interesting things to be taken from it. It's very divisive, which I understand perfectly. Um, I understand perfectly because I am sagacious and wise. I understand why it's it's divisive and I understand why other people have issues with it. But for me, I think it's a really interesting and really daring episode. And while I don't think it's entirely successful, I really appreciate a lot of what I think it does. Number four, then, is the God Complex. Uh, I have some problems with it, as I've as I've indicated, but for the most part, I think it's really very, very good. It's got strong horror aesthetics, if not uh, overtones. I, one thing I didn't mention is that I really like the the moments where people kind of succumb to the Minotaur Boys' influence. They're like quick shots and the, the like praise him thing going on. I think that's really fun and really, really creepy. Number three is the Impossible Astronaut slash Day of the Moon. Um, it's really good. It's as I said, I think it's kind of the Moffat era's imperial phase, despite coming really relatively early in the Moffat era. It's kind of it's just a it's a really successful piece of storytelling. And while I understand why um, Moffat might want to move on from that style, and I think it's actually very much to the good that he did because it gets to me to many of my favorite episodes of Doctor Who. I also think it's a it's a style that worked very well in its time. Number two is The Girl Who Waited, uh, which I think is a, like probably one of the most moving episodes of the new series, uh, which is to say of all of Doctor Who, probably, to be honest. Because as, as we've said, as, as the classic series does many things very well, but emotional intensity is not necessarily one of them. I think it's beautifully performed, beautifully shot, and for all that the plot has bits and pieces that don't quite gel. Um, I think it's a, it's a really, really lovely piece of television. And it's a credit to everything that has gone into the character of Amy and to a lesser extent the character of Rory that you can do an episode like this and that it can work so well. And then, obviously, number one is The Doctor's Wife, which I adore, which I think is superb. Which is, as I've said, my favourite episode of the whole Smith era. One of my favourite episodes of the new series. Uh, I think it's, it's a beautiful love letter to the show. Which manages the really quite astonishing feat of being soaked in continuity. Without ever seeming indulgent. And as recent events have shown, that's a very difficult thing to do. And I think it deserves a lot of acclaim for doing so. So, Beth, over ah, to you. It's me. Okay. I have, like, I tried to reorder these, and then I think that I might just go with the order that I had originally. 
So I don't know, I'm just kind of doing this on the fly. But at number 11, the bottom spot, I also have Curse of the Black Spot. It's the bottom, Curse mm-hmm. of the Bottom Spot. Oof. Oh no, that sounds like a... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That sounds like a Beano strip somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, yeah, it like, it a- it doesn't really aim for anything and doesn't really achieve what it, what little it's aiming for. So that's bad. Uh, number 10, I have Let's Kill Hitler. It uh, doesn't doesn't vibe with me and I don't like it and there's some moments that I think are, oh I didn't even mention the bit when River says that she's focusing on a dress size oh, yeah. when she's regenerating oh that's bad see there's just so much that's reasons why I'm not keen on it anyway let's move on to number nine which I have here as rebel flesh almost people which I think was one of the ones I was considering reordering but to be honest, although I think that it is aiming at some good stuff and um, like some interesting ideas, which I think that Jacob did a really good job of elaborating on in an interesting way, I just don't think as it is, it's really coherent and I find it quite messy. So for that reason, although it was, it aimed high, but it hit below average. <laughs> then at number, the next number, number Eight. Eight. I've written different numbers, and I'm trying to do it. I have a good man goes to war. Uh, it's it's the problem that it's the, it's the problem with like all the arcs in the series. That whilst there's maybe some bits that I think are alright, I kind of like the seeding of Doctor being warrior in Lorna's home tongue and River mm. calling him out. Oh, I meant to mention. Um, that. Yeah, I forgot completely to mention that as well. But that's one of the things that like is actually a positive for me. So that's why it's not lower. But it's also because it's so entrenched in the arcs in this series that I'm not keen on. It can't really be higher. Then at number seven, I have Closing Time, which I was considering putting lower based on the discussion. But like, I don't know. I put it there, I guess. I mean, to be honest, it's not like any of these ones are really ones I like. So it's all kind of like a mess. But yeah, I don't know. On another day, I might put it lower. But that's where it is. And then at number six, interestingly, which I think is exactly the same place that you had this, is Wedding of River Song, mm. even though everything else around it might be quite different. Um, just because like, I think that it does a decent job of being a finale to the preceding series. There's some stuff that I think is quite fun, and I think it is an entertaining watch, although I don't think that it's the best that it could have been, even if it was still being a even if it was still working with the same material to wrap up, I still think it could have done a bit of a better job of wrapping it up. Mm. But it's fine. At number five, Night Terrors. Number five? Yeah, but it's actually more than The Wedding of River Song, which is fine. It's it's above that. Oof. It's in its own tier of slightly more than... Well, I think, no, I think Night Terrors is good. So that's why it's at number five. I think it's a solid episode. Mm. At number four, I have Impossible Astronaut Day of the Moon. I enjoy that story, but I don't think I rate it as much as um, you guys do. But I think it's a entertaining watch with some genuinely creepy stuff. At number three, The Girl Who Waited. Um, I think that there's some stuff that doesn't land that well in this. Um, and I wish that there was less of The Doctor, but I really love the parts with Amy and Rory. Number two, The God Complex. I have some issues with the way that the story progresses from fear to faith. But I do think that the concept behind it of the rooms in the hotel is just brilliant 
And I think there's some a really good balance of humour, horror, all the kinds of things that I want to see from Doctor Who. And number one, I also have The Doctor's Wife because, I mean, I think I probably made this clear in the first episode we did about this series, uh, but I think it's pretty much a perfect episode and I love it a lot. So that's my number one. Jacob, the floor is yours. Hmm. Time for some wild variations. Oh. Um, number 11, the doctor's wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number 11, I have Let's Kill Hitler, uh, yeah. which I think was probably expected. Yeah, I just, I think it's offensive, messy, um, as I was kind of saying, it's possibly, probably my least favourite episode ever, so yeah, that's why it's down there. Uh, <laughs> number 10, I have Closing Time, mm. uh, also predictable. Yeah, it's not really doing anything, um, as we were saying, you know, this Kind of narrative about masculinity is kind of not really articulated properly and followed through. So it just doesn't really seem to have any purpose or direction. Number nine, I have The Wedding of River Song. Again, I'm just not particularly keen on it. I I don't feel that it's well-structured. It spends a lot of its time on exposition. Uh, I don't think it has a particularly strong resolution given the complexity of the arc that it comes out of. Number eight, I have a... Ooh, I'll move them around. Uh, number eight, I have The Curse of the Black Spot because it just doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. In a lot of other series, it would be even lower, but there are things that I like even less. <laughs> Basically, whilst I think that it's not very good and it's not even particularly competent, I think it doesn't do some of the misfires that something like Let's Kill Hitler does. But I still think it's dreadful. And then number seven, I have A Good Man Goes to War. It's... I'm not massively keen on it, but I don't think it's too terrible. It's it's like... It's okay. I still... I'm not a massive fan of... I think the tone isn't quite right. I think it's all over the place. But I, I do get that there are kind of... I think there are strong arguments for mitigating some of the issues that I have with it. So, yeah. I can see how it could be interesting. And I think it is trying to do interesting things, at least. Which is more than can be said for the curse. (laughs) The cursed curse. And then at number six, I have The Rebel Flesh and The Almost People. I think that this is an episode that is trying to do some interesting things thematically and conceptually. Doesn't necessarily pull them all off. I think it works against itself. It contradicts itself at times. And I, I think it's... It's definitely an episode of two halves, I would say. I think the first half's a lot stronger than the second. So that's why that's there. And then number five, right in the middle, I have Night Terrors, appropriately, which is slightly better than fine. And uh, yeah, I think it's doing some interesting, if simplistic, social commentary, using its genres, genres to do so. That mixture of kind of Almost like a kitchen sink realism and fairy tale. Mm. Number four, I have The Doctor's Wife. Uh, I do think it's a good episode. I enjoyed watching it. I still don't feel that it's it's reaching the 
complexity and level of interest that I want, but I still enjoy it. Maybe it will go up in the future, I don't know. But, yeah, number four for now. Uh, And then number three, I have The God Complex. Yeah, it's a good episode. I don't think it quite reaches the heights that the next two do for me, but I think that it works well within the season as a whole. And yeah, I really like the kind of, like you were saying, the kind of horror aesthetic, that kind of like 1980s hotel and the the whole concept behind these different rooms. Uh, I think that's a really good idea. And then number two, I have The Girl Who Waited, just because it's got such an emotional intelligence to it. Everything just works so well together. It's really well directed, great acting. Like it's, yeah, really good episode. Number one... I would never have believed this if you have said that I was going to say this a couple of years ago, but The Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon. Just because I think, like I said in the first episode, it's like the thematic elements are really well woven together with uh, the direction and um, the villain and all of that stuff um, and the setting. And I think it's trying to do some really clever things in terms of interrogating memory and history. So, yeah, I think it's very good. Mm. It's kind of crazy how this series pays tribute to two uh, Kubrick classics. Mm. Shining and the Moonland. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the thought, like, forming in your eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's been interesting. Like, I stand... Triumphantly correct, I think, mm, in my prediction definitely. that this would be the um, the most contentious of the discussions we've had so far, and not always in directions I predicted. I must say, like I I don't think I expected um, Jacob to be as positive on Rebel Flesh Almost People, for instance, mm. or as negative on the Doctor's <laughs> wife. He's a hater everywhere. <laughs> I thought I would be a hater. I feel like I've been the the centrist. You have, like, yeah, I don't like it. You've been the moderate of this. Uh, no, <laughs> like which, which makes it sound like I am some kind of partisan going to the barricade for Series Six, which I'm not. Like I think it has very real issues. It's like if I were to rank the new series, it would be like middling to low. I think. Mm. Um, Probably come like well. I'm, I'm not gonna say actually. I heard Kieran say that series six was the best Doctor Who series ever. <laughs> this is just what I've been hearing <laughs> on the streets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I think there are some superb episodes in here, as I've said. I think the overall arc, I admire its ambition. I think elements of it come off quite well. I think elements of it come off very badly. I I think I mean I think actually something we haven't really mentioned is that the arc of this series extends beyond this series, and mm. um, because it takes on elements that are coming from series five and even from Silence in the Library, and aspects of it don't resolve until the time of the Doctor. So in a way, this is really the arc of the Matt Smith era as much as anything. Now the Matt Smith era is not my favorite. I will say I think particularly the back half of it. I'm less fond of Series 7 and probably more or less Series 6 than I am Series 5, for mm, instance. Mm. Although I think the very end of his tenure really picks up uh, from Name of the Doctor on. But yeah, I don't know, do we have any like, concluding thoughts on Series 6? 
any concluding prayers? Mm. I've definitely, I'm definitely more positive on it than when I first saw it. Definitely, because mm. um, I've grown I, on me. I know several years ago. I know you said to me that you regarded series six as like the nadir of certainly the new series. Yeah, no, I don't anymore. I I I regard series seven as the nadir. Uh, okay, and I don't think that will change when we get to that. Unfortunately, I definitely expected to enjoy it a lot less. Yeah, I had yeah. thought that I just didn't like a a lot more of the Matt Smith Matt, mm. Matt Smith's tenure as the Doctor than it turns out that I actually. Do I, I like? I like. I don't know if that did. I did. I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I, I had a more. I, I enjoyed it more than I more than I thought that I would. Mm. But there was still some stuff that I is a bit of a sticking point for me. Yeah. I mean, even I enjoyed aspects of it more than I was expecting to, particularly in the back half, which I like barely remembered. There's always something to be said for going back and re- revisiting things you kind of weren't sure you liked. Because mm. I had that with this series. I'm, I mean, kind of vaguely in the process of going back up. I actually had it with series eight, the first Capaldi series, which I kind of didn't remember particularly liking, but I've come to really, really like on revisiting it. Uh, Series seven, we'll see. There are episodes that I've revisited and realized I actually like a lot more than I thought I did. There are episodes I've gone back to and realized I like less than I thought I did. So we'll see. But our next episode, we will be returning to the classic series. I'm going back to uh, season 13. So we're going from Matt Smith's second season to Tom Baker's. So I hope you can join us for that. Until then, I have been Kieran. Thoughts and prayers. I've been Bethan. I've been Jacob. And thank you very much for listening.